Welcome to our podcast, The State of Security, your insider's guide to navigating the ever-evolving digital frontier. I'm Jeff Hancock, Deputy CEO and CISO for Access Point Consulting. For more than 20 years, I've been in cybersecurity as a vice president, as a CISO, and a business executive, defending against cyber attacks and driving security strategy for some of the world's leading companies. As we know, cybersecurity isn't just a technical issue. It impacts every area of the business. To be successful in security means you need to be proactive in your approach and collaborative in all of your efforts to secure the business. And that's why we're here. In each episode, we'll dissect the critical issues impacting business and technology leaders. We'll expose the vulnerabilities, dispel the myths, and lay out actionable strategies to build a solid security program. Think of this as your cyber war room briefing, a space where insights from the trenches meet boardroom strategy. A lot of healthcare systems I see are short staffed, aren't skilled staff members. So that's where companies like my company, our company comes in where I can go in and actually help them, not necessarily tell them what to do, take over, but actually just be an extension to their board, be an extension to their executives and help them understand what they're doing right and how to continue down that right path and kind of where they may be wasting time and money. Welcome to the podcast. Today, to start the podcast, we have Rick Leib. Rick is currently a field CISO for Access Point Consulting. He has an extensive background in cybersecurity as a CISO, especially in the healthcare community. So thank you, Rick, for joining. I appreciate your time. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Jeff. Thanks for, thanks, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we've seen a lot of things going on in 2023 regarding cybersecurity across healthcare and other industries, You've definitely had your eyes on what's going on in the healthcare industry for quite some time. What are your thoughts in 2023 from a perspective of what you've seen from CISOs, from CIOs, from healthcare organizations, as far as where they're, they're faltering a little bit or where, where areas of improvement need to be focused on? Unfortunately, this is an easy topic to discuss, right? I guess we've had so many attacks and, and healthcare is such a target. It is the largest target for ransomware out there, plain and simple. Ransomware attacks became more frequent last year. They became bigger. They started attacking bigger sites. You've got, it's lost on top of my head, they got there's two different groups that are actively targeting healthcare specifically, and they are doing very well at it. I mean, uh, rumors, I've heard rumors of $150 million payout last year. Nobody publishes that information, so it's hard to prove that, but I've heard rumors of $150 million paid out from a hospital system to a ransomware group, right? Condi, things like that are, are all over the place. So honestly, ransomware is one of the biggest issues and it's because we're our preparations are still lacking. We're not ready for it, right? So the, one of the biggest things that I try to recommend to my customers is not just back up your encrypted data in your EMR. Your EMR is critically important, of course, because that's where all your, data, your EPHI is, right? But other factors, right? How do you get your Active Directory working, your cloud logons working? How do you get your backend applications working? How do you get your SSO working? If you don't back up your critical infrastructure to near line, do not ever back it up to real time. Because if you back up real time, I've seen customers do this. They back up their encrypted software and their malware right along with it. And they restore and it happens again, right? <laughs> so keeping it near line right. is critical. So I'm Honestly, those are two of the biggest things that I see in the industry where we can improve, right? We can improve our malware defenses, get everything patched on time. I know that's difficult. And in healthcare, it's almost impossible sometimes because there's some older software out there. Or there's some systems like MRIs that still run on Windows 7 or Windows XP even, 
which is scary. So there you have to take different approaches such as microsegmentation. You have to firewall off that individual unit, which of course costs more money and costs more skilled staff to do so because the more things you manage, the more skilled staff you're going to require, right, to manage that. Plus, you're going to have to ta- train your IT staff to not break what you're doing from a security perspective because IT staff, honestly, a CIO gets rated on uptime, period. That's it. That's it. There's no, there's nothing else out there. Does it work? Yes, it works. Yeah, because their IT systems, obviously, lives depend on their IT systems up and running. So, Absolutely. And so when you start talking about security, two things really come into play there, right? So you've got IT guys just trying to keep things online, and of course, which is fine. That that's their job. And you got security guys trying to make sure everything stays safe. And unfortunately, sometimes it can be a couple extra steps, take a little longer, more documentation. You know, it, it gets in the way of trying to keep things online quickly, right? Sure, sure. So that's one of the big things. The other thing that I've seen is I can't recommend strong enough to organizations that combine IT and security, break them apart. They are not the same thing. Absolutely not. In my opinion, information security should be its own team. It should be its own department segregated from IT. Now, they work closely with IT. You can even share the same physical space as IT, and I recommend that you do that. But from an executive perspective, from a board perspective, you need to break them apart because there are different regulations requiring information security over IT, right? And also the mentality of, well, we'll get to it later. Well, we'll bolt it on later. That is difficult to do and very expensive. So break them out, get a real CISO, stop having an engineer be your CISO. Engineers are great. We love engineers. There's nothing wrong with being a great engineer, (laughs) but an engineer is not a CISO. There is a very large difference between a CISO and an engineer. Now, a CISO can come up from being an engineer. A few people can do that. Not everybody, because there are a lot of great engineers out there that cannot manage people, cannot deal with the board of directors. Yeah. They want to present a 45-page report to the CEO when he wants three paragraphs. Yeah, things like that. Right. So you talked about ransomware uh, in hospitals, and you also tied into the fact that some of these hospital systems have old IT technology, which makes it obviously difficult or onerous or people don't want their current systems touched. IT, CIOs don't want their current systems touched in any way, shape, or form just because they're working now and no one should touch it and leave it alone, which totally respect that. However, when ransomware comes in, you mentioned earlier, like your backups and being really resilient. The term in the industry right now is cyber resilience and how organizations can be resilient from a cyber operations perspective in the face of ransomware. So I think that's an interesting point of view and topic because I think I'd like to get your thoughts on what organizations should think about as the CIO or the hospital administrator sits back and says, I need to make sure I'm up and running when I get attacked, how do I manage through that? And then what should I do next? So what are your thoughts or experiences on that? Helping them be resilient in the face of, oh, I'm crap, I'm breached. What do I do now with those older systems in play as well? First off, let's go back to OCR, right? So OCR will flat tell you that any encrypted data that is breached is not a breach. OCR is just for our audience. Sorry, that's the Office of Civil Rights. They are the ones that manage HIPAA. They imply the HIPAA law. They apply HIPAA law. They work with CMS, Centers for Medicare Advantage, all these organizations have a finger in HIPAA law and HIPAA management, right? So I always refer back to OCR. What's OCR going to say, right? And they tell us flat out that encrypted data that is breached is not breached data. Therefore, it is not a reportable breach, right? That's an incredibly intuitive distinction. So if you encrypt your data and it's breached, You've not technically been breached from a OCR perspective. Now, you still have a problem because somebody's on your network, right? That's a different issue, right? Right. 
we want to break out healthcare specifically. We want to talk about HIPAA data, EPHI data, you know, those types of breaches. We have to make that distinction. So I recommend as much as CIOs don't like it sometimes, encrypt everything. Encrypt it. Because if you're encrypted, you're not breached, right? Your data doesn't get out there. Yeah, you still have a problem, which we can go back and figure out. We can go back and figure out how they got in, what form they got into, what vulnerability they got through, whether it be a human vulnerability or be a technical vulnerability, and we can solve that. That's easy. Once your data is out there, that's a problem, right? Because now you've got the problem of double exposure, right? Or double extortion, right? So you're going to, I've seen a lot of Conti guys out there go ahead and encrypt a network and say, okay, I want $10 million. And so you pay $10 million quickly, right? Because you don't want anybody to know, you need to get back online. And unfortunately, some people do actually just pay that $10 million fee, right? So they pay that. And then two months later, okay, they're working, they're operating. And then the hacker again, now I want another $10 million where I'm going to expose all your data, right? So if you encrypt that data, you don't have that to expose, right? So that's one of the biggest things I can see out there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So as a CIO, what you're telling me is I need to make sure all of my systems are encrypted to some level, to some degree. Does that mean my Windows 97 medical device that's doing perfectly in the corner and gathering lots of dust, but it works? Or how do I make sure my third-party suppliers are encrypted? So your third-party suppliers, that goes down third-party risk management, right? So that's required by HIPAA that you do review all of your third parties. You make sure that they're secure, Mm -hmm. make sure they got their policies. You have to review those policies, make sure they're following those policies. So I always try to go ahead and say, show me your ISO, your attestations, these types of things. That's not hard to do, right? So show me that. Show me your SOC 2 Type 2, and let's look at that SOC 2 Type 2, if you'll share it with me, and we'll make sure that you meet our standards, right? Because you have to meet our standards, plain and simple. As an organization, you have to meet our, once you do that, you're better off than not doing that, plain and simple. It's like having a policy and not following it. That's really bad. Right. So third-party security policy, Every as a CIO listening to this for a healthcare organization, I need to make sure I have a, a, a third-party security program in place. I need to make sure my stuff is encrypted to whatever degree that it can be. Is that fair enough? It's fair enough. And then with the things that you can't encrypt, put a compensating control in front of them, right? So micro-segment those off. Make it as difficult as possible for that to be breached, that data to be breached, that device to be breached. So it's much easier as a bad guy to put on your black hat and break in through a human being, through phishing, you know, through vishing, get in there one way or another. Once I'm in, if the network's relatively flat, it's really easy for me to go around and do what I want to do and replicate myself all over quietly and get into every corner I can. I'm not going to take the time and get through six firewalls or three different sets of firewall rules. It's just too difficult. Honestly, firewalls work great. It's humans and vulnerabilities that where, where they get through. Sure, sure, right. That's a really good point. And a lot of people may think that when it comes to just cyber operations, if I've just got encryption in place, I'm good. If I just have this product or that microsegmentation, one element of what you said, that they're more secure. It sounds like you're really saying is there's a package or a set of things that healthcare organizations need to make sure that they do from an operational component. So switching gears just a little bit, how would you suggest that a CISO or a CIO tie what you said back to like communicating up to a board on this type of issue? So when I try to communicate back to the board, I try to keep some KPIs in place, right? So your key, key performance indicators and then matching key risk indicators. So for me, reporting back to the board, the CIO is going to look much better to the board if his risk is lower, plain and simple, right? 
their uptime is high and their risk is reduced. Now, how do you prove your risk is reduced, right? You have to do that through KPIs and matching KRIs, you know, key risk indicators, folks, for those who don't know what a KRI is. So that is the best way to do that. Now, everyone's KRIs and KPIs are different. We all have the same. How many vulnerabilities have we squashed this month? I mean, are we even looking for vulnerabilities? First off, are we getting better? What's our trend? You know, every, we know every month, you know, you're going to get a spike because your vulnerability scanner got an update and you're going to get a spike of new vulnerabilities found. But overall, what's your trending look like overall? If your trending is going down, your board of directors is going to be much happier than if your trend is all over the place and you just can't seem to control it, right? Because now it looks like you're chaotic, Yep. yep. right? Boards don't like chaos. They like simple and they like trending. So positive trending, positive or neutral trending. <laughs> positive is great. Neutral is good. Downward trends are a red line, clearly, right? In 2024, if you were sitting in front of a board of directors, CEO, CIO, what would you recommend based on just lessons learned and things you've seen last year? What would you recommend they do, continue to do, let's say? Let's say they're doing something really well this year. What are the things you've seen that they should continue to do in 2024? In 2024, I would continue to increase your malware re resilience, right? So get your vulnerability patch management out there, not just Windows, not just your operating system, but everything as much as you can. Get your individual applications, your SSO, get that vulnerability scored first off. Understand what your true vulnerabilities are. Just because there's a CVE that says it's a nine does not mean it's a nine in your organization. So let's keep this clear. You need to determine and hey, you need skilled staff to help you determine what's really, truly critical to the organization, right? So get those down, right? And then obviously, the larger the exposure, the larger your risk, right? So if you have something sitting on the internet facing out there with vulnerabilities in your IAM system, your identity authentication management system, you are going to be in trouble quickly, guaranteed, because they're going to get into that. That, you know, they're going to get into that vulnerability. They're going to expose it. They're going to get in it. And now they've got access, right? So that's critical. However, something that may also be a nine is that IAM system may be a problem, but if it's internal only and there's no external connections, it's less of an issue. It's still an issue, but it's less important than something, say, like Apache Struts, which is sitting on the internet and allows people to walk right through, right, and get into your infrastructure. Right? So that's what I mean by you've got to be able to measure what's truly priority to your organization. And that takes a skilled staff, which unfortunately, a lot of healthcare systems I see are short staffed on skilled staff members. So that's where companies like my company, our company comes in where I can go in and actually help them, not necessarily tell them what to do, take over, but actually just be an extension to their board, be an extension to their executives and help them understand what they're doing right and how to continue down that right path and kind of where they may be wasting time and money. So as far as 24, I would say continue your malware, your malware deference, adopt a zero trust model if you can. Not everybody can. And I understand that, but you can adopt part of a zero trust, even if you can't adopt a full zero trust, right? So segment out. Like we're, so zero trust is zero trust is a process where any device that comes on the network is authenticated. Every user account that comes on the network is authenticated. Every process is authenticated. And here's the trick every time, right? So zero trust doesn't trust anyone or anything, plain and simple. You have to authenticate every time. Now, that does not mean you have to stop and log in every time. For every three seconds, that's not what that means. You can use your SSO to, to cross systems, et cetera. SSO is single sign-on operations, guys. So a lot of improvata is used heavily in the healthcare industry where you take your badge, your RFID badge, you tap an RFID reader and off you go. You, know, you put your password in twice a day and you're good, right? So I would continue down those, those paths. 
Also, I would try to increase your security staffing and your budget. I really would. Because of adopting zero trust is going to cost you time and money and effort. Prioritizing your security awareness training is going to cost you time, money, and effort. Increasing your staff budgets are going to help you do that. Segment your networks. That micro-segmentation is important. It costs money to get firewalls or software firewalls, virtual firewalls. It costs money in subscriptions. It's expensive. So you're going to have to increase your budget as much as I hate to say that. Nobody likes to hear that, but it's true. And test your incident response. Can't tell you how many times people do a tabletop and they wing it. That's not how you do an instant response, guys. Tabletop, in my opinion, now this is my opinion, and I've been proven wrong in my lifetime, and I've done this for 35 years. I've been wrong more than once. A tabletop should actually test your actual incident response plan. If I'm going to walk you through your incident response, if I'm going to lead that task, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to put that in my hands. We're going to portray some scenarios, and we're going to walk down your incident response plan. Does this work? Not winging it. Does this incident plan work? If it does not work, which most we find usually find some issues, we go ahead and modify that plan. That way, at least we've tested the actual plan. So executives know what they're doing. Directors know what they're doing. The engineers know what they're doing. They know what steps. They've got that muscle memory running because you've tested it. And I would say, don't test it once a year. Test it quarterly if you can, because that muscle memory is there, right? And also get the executives on board as part of that incident response event or that tabletop make them aware of everything that goes into an incident. Get their buy-in. Because without an executive buy-in, you've got nothing. I don't care what you're trying to do. I don't care how great it is. Without the executives, you're not getting anywhere. Right. So to kind of summarize here, so it's definitely the third-party security program plan, like for 2024, making sure your systems are resilient and what that looks like. The use of folks such as yourself to help come alongside and advise boards and CIOs on security posture holistic security within the organization, fully understanding and noting that money is an issue and it's tight. So not everyone's going to spend all the money they need to be completely secure. But what do you have today to get you where you need to be, especially in 2024, right? We have people who have companies, organizations, hospital, healthcare organizations that have limited budget this year. How do they want to secure their organization to the degree that they can based on the financial ramifications and issues and limitations that they have, right? So how would you suggest, let's say, uh, and this is kind of a, an industry conversation that's been going on, how to use MSSPs within the healthcare organization, right? Have you seen that done well or not well? And what would you recommend, right? Considering I, as a CIO, let's say, if I'm a CIO of an organization, I have a limited budget this year, I can go out and hire somebody and carry all that overhead cost, or I can go find an MSSP that can help me just get what I absolutely need today, right? potentially at a less cost. So what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are pretty simple, right? So when it comes to information security, a lot of people in our industry, quite frankly, don't understand that, yeah, we want it secure, but we've also got to be profitable, plain and simple. If we're not profitable, we're not making money. The executives, they don't care about the latest widget. They just want to make money and know that they're not going to be exposed, right? Plain and simple. So bringing in an MSSP, someone like us, can help you actually understand what is truly priority to your organization based on your risk assessments. And based on your budget, we can help you understand what is the best approach to take to accomplish your goal. We can give you positives and, and negatives, quite frankly, because I never give a positive without a negative, right? Because there's risks to everything that you do. And you need to understand that risk. As a CIO, as a board of directors, that's what you care about is the risk, right? So understanding that risk, trying to attack the highest risks you can effectively and efficiently and cost effectively is important. An MSSP 
can help you understand and prioritize those things, right? They can help you measure them because somebody internally may have a bias, right? I think this is more important than anything else. And I'm going to shove this because this is what I believe to be the most important. Well, it might be, it may not be to the organ most important organization, but it could be. So having an external party look at that with a third set of eyes is absolutely incredible because you gain a vision from expertise that you don't have locally. So what would you say of the services that MSSPs provide, what would you say would be foundational or ones to start with, let's just say? So foundational, for MSSP to come in and just be foundational, first off, what are the KPIs and KRIs? What's your actual risk? Do you Have you done your risk assessment honestly? I've seen a lot of risk assessments in the years. Now, and a lot of them are just check boxes. CISO or CIOs are trying to get compliant. Well, we've done that, so we're good. It's not necessarily secure. You know, compliance is not necessarily secure. Okay, let's just put that out there. <laughs> so the foundational steps would be get an MSSP in there and actually look at your risk assessment because a lot of risk assessments are done quickly. They're not done thoroughly. They're done just to check a box, right? And so understanding your risk assessment is one thing that an MSSP can come in and actually help you understand whether this is adequate or not. Because let's just be honest, risk assessments are hard work. They're a lot of work and they're individualized to your organization. They're not simple. You don't go download a form off Google and say, we're good guys. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> if you're doing that, you have a problem that you need to talk to me right now if you're doing that, right? An MSSP can help you understand your true risks based on your risk assessment. They can look at your risk register, your risk treatment plan, make sure that you're following regulatory compliance because a lot of times there's a lot of discussion I run into where an engineer will think one thing an executive will think a different thing. And what really is in HIPAA? We can actually help you settle that really quick, right? What is in HIPAA? What is in high tech? High trust is a private product. It is not a regulatory requirement. And I'm not saying it's a bad product. It's a great product, but it takes time and a lot of money to implement, right? So doing some of the foundational work, such as, you know, check your patch management, do your third party risk assessments, you know, do your third party risk management, understanding your true priorities. These are some things that an MSSP can come in quickly and help you so that you can get on a plan in 24. That's great. You made some recommendations of what you've seen companies need to do going forward in 2024. What are one or two gotchas that you've seen last year that organizations are you think are going to consistently not engage in? Like, So if you're going forward, if a CIO is talking to you at a health or an administrator is talking to you from a, a health organization, what would you tell them that you did last year? If you continue doing, it's really going to cause you problems next year. Believe in compliance is secure. Plain and simple. A lot of organizations are just going after that compliance checkbox, plain and simple. Oh, we're, we're high tech, we're HIPAA, we've done those things, and that's it. They don't have the money. They don't have a CISO that can explain what those issues really are to the board so that they can build that relationship. They can make that resilience argument to the board. They can get their true risks associated with the board because engineers speak geek, plain and simple. Right, right. Right, which goes <laughs> right. back to my quit making engineers CISOs, right? And CISOs will have the ability to speak the language the board wants to hear in three paragraphs or less and explain that risk. Right. <laughs> I'm just taking a note here because I think you're, you're hitting on some really key points that our audience needs to keep in mind. Just looking at 2024 and what's coming, and obviously people are going to say, oh my gosh, 2024 predictions, there's going to be more breaches. Yeah, there will be. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> That's great. That's an absolute. So how are you going to manage through that? I think has consistently been the bigger challenge. And and, and to your point, I think there's so many organizations that focus on the compliance checkbox and compliance equals security conversation. And the industry, if you will, around healthcare, 
they're not technical. So they just want to make sure they're good via checkbox and, and leave it alone. But you can't, when you're faced with an organization that's going to charge you a hundred bad guys, really, who are going to charge you $150 million or $100 million or $10 million and put all of your data at risk, 10% of that could have been used to make sure your, your systems are ever running well and secured and encrypted, as you pointed out earlier. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So what are your key takeaways? So the key takeaways, these are pretty straightforward, right? So your security starts with your executive commitment and vision, plain and simple. You've got to have the executive buy-off. You've got to have the executives committed to security. If you don't, you need to go back and work with your executives so they understand really what's going on, right? You need talent, skills, and development. They are imperative to your business. You've got to have security staff that understands security, understands the regulatory requirements. You have to understand that the business has to be profitable. You have to make money so you can't go and spend everything in January for your annual budget. You need things like that. Prioritize your protection around your critical data systems, right? right. What really is important to the organization? And a lot of organizations say, well, all my EPHI is important. Well, that's great, but what about the EMR itself, right? You have to have the EMR running to get to the EPHI data, which you have to have your network running. You've got to have your endpoints running. So that whole thought pattern of tracing all that back, that needs to be all prioritized, right? And properly done so. Also, prepare for attacks. Plan. Sure. Bring somebody in. Look at, mm. I'm not trying to sell anything here, but we have... There are organizations out there, not us, but there are organizations out there that will show you what a breach simulation looks like. So once you breach, what it, what really happens, they'll run right through your network and show you exactly what it looks like from the outside in. And some of those are pretty eye-opening. So prepare for that. Prepare for that breach because here's reality. If the FBI InfraGuard can't keep China out, you're not going to keep China out. Plain and simple, right? And I'm not picking on China specifically, <laughs> but you're not going to keep exactly. out the professional hacking groups. You're going to have issues. So how well prepared you are matters, plain and simple. Yeah. So it sounds like certainly preparedness, preparing and making sure you're ready. Your executives are ready, that they understand the risks that they have in 2024 and making sure they are able to contextualize that risk in light of what they're doing as a day-to-day -day business. Then doing the tabletop exercises to help everybody understand and get executive buy-in and not daily, but monthly, maybe even, or quarterly, as you point out, getting it on board and understanding what the risks are and tying that right back to the business. And then certainly, as you point out, right, getting a strategy in place, hiring the right people and completely understanding that a lot of organizations don't have the money to hire a CISO or a security team or an engineer for that matter. They need some expertise to come in for a short period of time, for a certain amount of time to help them perfect what they're doing, upscale, mature their model that they're currently using, at least so they know and they're aware, and then provide them some kind of a roadmap. That would summarize it? Absolutely. That's a great summary, actually. That's a great summary. And to hit your point, you can bring in a fractional CISO part-time. They're not as effective as a full-time CISO. Let's just be clear. But you can do that. So if you can't afford that CISO, you can't afford that professional CISO, that has their, the recognition, that has the certifications, that has the experience, you can bring a fractional CISO in and, and even bringing a fractional CISO in will help you long run. Even if you have a CISO, bringing a CISO advisor in can always help, right? Because two eyes are better than one, first off. And the experience level a CISO advisor could bring in to another CISO may be very different from what the CISO's experience is. And so they can complement each other. Agreed. I think it's a definitely an understated point or value proposition bringing in someone like yourself, who's got a lot of experience as a CISO across multiple industries, including healthcare, but bringing you in to sit down with another CISO within a company and say, 
What do you think, Rick, from what your experience is? I think that is, that's the old iron sharpens iron perspective, right? That not everybody has the right answer. So it's great to learn how other organizations or industries or people have addressed your issues and then move forward with some sort of a plan and advisement situation. So yeah, I think that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. I know you're very busy. Thank you for joining us from your bunker in wherever you're located today. I appreciate it. We are in Arizona for the winter. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Very cool. I appreciate your time and your expertise. Really enjoy uh, the conversation. So hopefully, folks, next time we'll get Rick back on uh, in the future to discuss how you can apply cybersecurity within healthcare organizations or even other industries as his background experience is, is pretty dynamic. So thank you again for joining our podcast, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for having me, Jeff. 